An Altar on the Village Green From Book One of The Chained God Written by Nathan Hall Narration, Music, and Sound Design by Alex Schiffer Episode 3, On the Road I left Yimrit, its grand church, and its great walls, and its starving refugees. Descending to the ankles of the mountains was easy. I followed a main road, which had not yet fallen into disrepair, south along the edge of the forests. The fallen land like a pressed bruise, like the sting of fire, pulled me further east. But the farther I went, the quicker my journey would be. The sun beat down as it rose to its noon peak. Sweat soaked my scarf and tunic. I drank liberally from the water skin in my pack. By evening, I would have the chance to refill it at the river Gomasi, There was a strangeness in the air out here, beyond the city's protection. A stillness despite the wind, a quiet despite the sound of nature. A waiting, an expectation, like the moment before rain falls. Horror could strike anywhere. In the decades since the last lance had set out, Our records of where horrors existed had become more like vague circles on maps than precise points. It was vanishingly unlikely that I would wander into one unawares. Even if I did, without binding myself to an anchor within the horror, were I to die, I would not be trapped in it. Even so, fear made my palms clammy. I rounded a bend in the road, and was met with something other than horror. A child stumbled along the road. Dried blood caked down her face. She watched me with blank eyes and a gaunt, hungry face. I closed the distance between us quickly, dropping to my knees when I reached her. With a practiced hand, I checked her head. Wherever the blood had come from, she hadn't been wounded. Are you alone? I asked, already looking over her shoulder. She sniffed, but seemed too exhausted to cry. My family. She looked back the way she'd come. Lefar. This wasn't my purpose the horror drawing me as if on a fishing line. But this child needed me. Lefar, whoever that was, needed me. Take me to them so I can help. The girl hesitated, then nodded. Can I pick you up? Another slower nod. She was too light in my arms. Her limbs like twigs I might break if I wasn't gentle. I started at a loping pace, trying not to jar her. 
the child pointed me away from my destination, off the main path to the west, around abandoned fields where weeds had overtaken crops that had been left to rot. Loose stones replaced cracked paving stones, and a turn later, packed dirt replaced stones. Bushes and trees grew close around the edges of roads, limiting sight beyond a turn. What had caused this? If the child was any indication, they were all starving. But that wouldn't explain their wounds. An animal attack? Most that could do this avoided the roads. Was it a horror? As I had feared earlier? Shocked like cold water prickled my skin, and I looked at the child in my arms with new suspicion, remembering the high canter's story. But it remained unlikely, and the worst thing that could happen, I reminded myself, was that I could die. I imagined the child taking this long path by herself, like fire scoring paper. My own memory branded this moment. I knew the helplessness of the empty road all too well. At the time, supporting my mother had felt like carrying her. I'd been so young. Helping her stay upright had taken a feverish sort of will I'd never drawn from since. But as an adult, I looked at my mother with awe. Her husband dead before her eyes part of her face hanging off the bone, her back carved open. Somehow she dragged herself across unforgiving wilderness until we reached the closest town. I remembered blood soaking her clothes and mine, blood from her wounds, blood from my father's murder. Slick on my hands. All these years later, I could almost feel the blood tack as it dried. Time stood still in the midst of suffering, crystallized like amber. That road had gone on into eternity. Sometimes it felt like I was still on it. As we rounded a bend and I saw the child's family, both questions and memory burned away. Nearly a dozen people, older than Cantor Araz or younger than the girl in my arms, sat or lay, leaned against each other, or rested on the dirt. All the children were as emaciated as the one I now let down from my arms. The adults were worse. One old woman held a tattered cloth to her head, her eyes swollen shut, her lips split. A young woman had a rag tied around her leg, her pants soaked with blood. Lafar, the girl said, yanking at my chain. I let her pull me through the group, giving tight-lipped nods to those who noticed me. Soon I knelt down beside a man not much younger than me, whose open shirt revealed clustered bruises like livid paint. His breaths were short, painful gasps, drowned in his exhales. Eyes closed, he seemed barely aware at all. Can you help him? Asked a woman with a tone that expected the answer I would give. 
she had her arms around two boys, clutching them close as they might disappear. Lance? He took a bad beating? I asked. It was easier to have her give me information that I already knew than it was to answer her question. They were waiting just off the road, the woman said, her grief and fury subsumed by calmness for the children. We must have been the first they came across. They were desperate. If we weren't half-starved, we might have fought them off. Like fire, memory scorched a line between this road and the one from the night my father died. Bandits had been waiting then, too. Only a handful, but more than enough to rob a child and parents fleeing toward Yimrit. Bandits were common for a reason. A single armed man could stop a group on the road. A couple stepping out behind could cut off any escape but for headlong flight into the forest. The food and clothing had been first. We'd watched as they rifled through our bags and picked socks and jackets for themselves. My mother tried to comfort me, a child almost too young to understand what was happening. It was as she ran her hands through my hair, clutching me close like this mother did her son's, that the bandits saw the bracelet. The bluestone beads wouldn't have been worth much, but like a magpie, the bandit leader must have hungered after its glint. When he demanded it, he hadn't waited for a true objection. She'd clasped her hands over it protectively. His sword had gleamed like black glass in the moonlight, carving the side of her face and almost taking her off her feet. Memory could be strange. I didn't remember how he got away from them but I remembered my father's screams. I didn't remember them opening my mother's back, but I remembered the heat of her blood. I didn't remember how long we hid in the tangled briar-eaten woods, but I remembered their laughter as they hunted us. When Leffer didn't want to hand over the food, everything happened quickly. I'm not sure who struck first, but they all laid in on Lefar. Karmis was down with her head open, and the bandits had the food and were taking off. Domia started to chase them, and got a knife in her leg for the trouble. The woman looked around at her family, beaten and bloodied, dying of injuries and starvation and thirst, and for a moment, the stoic front failed. She looked just as lost as the boys she kept at her sides. You have to understand. We were rationing already to get to the city. Leffer was foolish, but he didn't deserve... She didn't need to say it, and neither did I. The man seemed unaware of anything but how hard it was to breathe. He was dead. As dead as any in the Fallen Lands as dead as my father. The only ones thriving were the bandits. Which way did they go? 
Every year in Yimrit, when the red buds bloomed, the church shot fire flowers into the night sky to celebrate the light of hope that the chained god provided through the lances. Last year I'd been stationed with the high cantor, and would watch the fuses being lit, the inexorable path the spark took to fuel the fire flower's fury. The fires race into the sky, and its final brilliant bursting, how different it had been than watching from a crowd, how something miraculous had become inevitable. I knew now how that fire flower must have felt. The heed of remembered pain screamed within me, pointed not toward the sky, but toward the fleeing bandits, ready not to burst into light and color, but into bloodshed. A handful of bandits would be no threat to a well-trained lance. If I died, I would only rise from the anchor. Though it was frowned upon for a lance to do violence outside a fallen land, these thieves were a source of suffering all their own. It would only be a short detour from... Please. A tug on my chains yanked me back into the moment. I thought the little girl had no tears left but she proved me wrong now. Help, Leffer. You're supposed to help. I... Words faltered, dammed up by guilt. In my years as a page, I'd been trained to treat all sorts of wounds. Breaks and cuts and fevers, things that might fester and kill if left to it. But Lafar had been crushed on the inside bleeding into his chest. Nothing I'd ever learned. No power had been granted by my god could begin to help him. My god's ichor would only burn him from the inside, even if he could drink. The lance got here too late, sweetie, the woman said tearfully, letting go of her sons to take the girl into her arms. You were supposed to help, the girl sniffled sobbing into the woman's chest. She was right. But nothing I had, nothing I knew, could help Leffer. It was too late for him. The woman's gaunt face was haunted by the grim knowledge of not only Leffer's future, but their own. Hers, her children's, and the rest of her family. She had no more hope for herself than for Leffer. Here, like everywhere else, hope was a forgotten thing, not so much a memory as a tale shared by those old enough to remember. I'd become a lance to return hope to people. I couldn't help Leffer, but perhaps... Kneeling, I swung the pack around in front of me. Sometimes we lances don't get where we're going until it's too late to help. That's why we're so grateful to people like you. The girl wiped snot on her sleeve. Like me? Untying the back, I said, I bet Leffer must be so proud. You've been so strong, so brave, hasn't she? Oh, so very brave. The woman had a smile for the little girl, but her eyes were full of questions. I wouldn't have found your family in time if it weren't for you. 
I pulled my water skin from the pack, and eyes both big and small were on me. I bet you're all pretty thirsty and hungry. The food in my pack would have only fed me for a few days. It wouldn't be more than a meal for these folks. But the children's eyes widened as I pulled half a loaf of bread from the sack. Even the mother seemed to salivate as I unwrapped the wax paper around a block of cheese. Could you take the water around? I asked the little girl. And why don't you help pass out food? The mother suggested to the boys. The girl stopped briefly to watch Leffer, who still breathed, but wasn't moving otherwise. Then she ran off after the boys, who'd already grabbed bread and cheese and salted beef and started to hand them out, clutching the water skin to her like a precious thing. Thank you, the woman said as soon as the children wouldn't hear. You sure you'll be all right? Don't worry. I have snares and a sling. And if it comes to it, I know how to forage well enough to get by. Talking about food and water felt strange, kneeling next to a man who couldn't find air. You're half a day from Ymrit. You know the way, it seems. The woman nodded, pointing toward Gia's spire, the tallest mountain cresting over the trees to the northwest. Keep to the roads and we'll wind up at the walls eventually, right? Right. For a moment, I saw this group waiting for soup with the hundreds of others. Saw them being turned away when the soup ran out. I saw that brave little girl, offered to the church so she'd be fed and clothed. For a moment, I couldn't breathe. You... you know what things are like there. The woman shrugged. Can't be worse than what we left. Maybe she was right. Looking at Leffer, I wonder what they'd left that could have been worse. Even unconscious, the man's face was twisted with the effort and pain of trying to draw breath. The only mercy I could give him would be the end of my blade. I recoiled from the thought. Even if all that he had left were hours gasping on the edge of consciousness, it was not my place to decide that death was better. The family might make the choice, if he never woke, but even that would be stealing from him. For all I knew, Leffer would rather hold on until he was smothered by his own blood, if that suffering brought him more time with those he loved. I'm sorry, I said. Sorry, you've given us a chance at reaching the city. I was silent again, so full of things to be sorry for, and so unable to speak them, choking on my own inadequacy. Finally, standing, I said, for being too late. The woman smiled sadly but didn't argue. Not long after, I left the group behind. My pack felt light, nearly empty. Backtracking, I followed the main road to a bridge over the river Gomasi, refilling my skin in the clear waters. On the other side of the river, 
the road turned away, and I had stepped out onto a dirt path amid the trees. As always, that pressed bruise sensation led my way. This has been Chapter 4 of An Altar on the Village Green, from Book 1 of The Chained God, written by Nathan Hall. Edited by Sarah Chorn. Original print cover by Luke Tarzian. And podcast cover by Van Fulfs. Copyright 2021 by Nathan Hall. All rights reserved.